Good morning, everybody. Hey, how's it going? You doing good? How many of you stayed up all the way through the end of the Ducks game? Come on, faithful fans, we watch all the way to the end. Awesome. Man, so excited to be with you guys today. Uh, this, this past week here, I was actually up in Canada all week, so I'm going to tell you all about it. Uh, thank you. Don't you know? Uh, so anyways, I uh, had a wonderful time up there with my great friends, Carrie and Sean Harvey, and got to, to speak into their internship group launch. And uh, it was awesome just talking with young people and uh, answering questions. We kind of talked about uh, devotions and connecting with God, but also how we connect to culture. So answering questions. And so what we do is I'll teach for like an hour, and then there's an hour and a half or two hours of questions. So I use my mouth like so much this week. So if I stumble over words, that's why I've just been talking all week which is different than normal. Normally, I only talk to you folks on Sunday, and then the rest of the week, I'm just dead silent. Is that true, Bethany? Yes, it is. I lock myself in my introvert cave, and I read old, dusty books, and then I come out of my shell on Sunday, talk for a little bit. But this week, I was just talking, talking, and talking. So really cool. We got just, you know, uh, awesome time up there and uh, lots of time in the car uh, driving up and down. So I do have to say, I'm proud to be an Oregonian. How many of you are proud to be an Oregonian? How many of you are actually born in Oregon, like myself? Oh, we got a lot of natives here. That's awesome. How many of you are from California? The rest. Okay, yeah. Cool. Go, go Cali. My family's from Cali, but I'm from Oregon. I was born here. But I do have to say, how many people from Washington are here? Cool. You know, Jesus loves you. That's awesome. Praise God. There's grace even for sinners. Um, uh, but I have to say, like, Washington, you know, I was, in a, I was in, like, combat in Washington the whole state because I was stuck in traffic. So that's the first problem with Washington. If you, anywhere in Seattle area, traffic is, like, horrible, right? And, uh, and then I was stuck behind a Husky fans with their stupid Husky stickers and stuff on the back. And I, I might have, may or may not, but definitely was yelling at the back of their car, we beat you, you know, this year. <laughs> as we kept you know, being stuck in gridlock, but I was kind of locked in battle. So the first problem is traffic, but the second problem is there's like no rest areas in Washington. So the roads aren't as good as Oregon and there's no rest area. So I had to go to the bathroom really bad. I had to go pee. This, you know, that's what I had to do. And I'm stuck in traffic in Seattle behind a Huskies fan and there's nowhere to go. And then I kept, there's no signage and I kept passing by the three rest areas they have in the entire state of Washington as I pass by. So anyways, that's, that has nothing to do with today. I just wanted to complain about our neighbors to the north and just thank God that we are Oregonians in God's country. Come on. Uh, you know, it's like, it's like uh, Goldilocks. She says, this isn't right, this isn't right, and this one's just right. And that's how I feel about Oregon. It's like California, not quite. You know, Washington, not quite. And then Oregon right in the middle. It's, that's the one. Come on, it's the sweet spot. So we're, we're happy, we're blessed. No, I'm just kidding. Those are, those are great states. But Anyways, I'm excited today to share part two of what we started last week talking about having great big faith. Uh, we believe in a God that is bigger than every challenge, every circumstance. And one of the ways we want to connect with God is by amplifying and getting a bigger faith, right? And so we talked about that last week, what it looks like to have big faith. And if you remember, I shared with you three faith-filled facts uh, Number one, you cannot play it safe and please God. Number two, as long as you have a guarantee, you don't have faith. Number three, to step toward your destiny, you have to step away from your security. And we talked about, like uh, Pastor Craig Rochelle says, that we are faith-filled, big-thinking, bet-the-farm risk-takers 
who will never insult God with small thinking and safe living. How many of you were challenged by that last week? And how many of you skipped church and were doing something else and now you're like, yes, I'm trying to fake it till I make it, but I don't really know what we're talking about. Raise your hand. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but we're talking about what our faith level looks like and having that bigger faith. And, and here's the thing, when we get a right perspective of God, when we see God for who he really is, it actually increases everything uh, in our walk with him. It increases our faith. It increases our vision uh, because we serve a God who is so amazing. So today we're continuing in that. This is like the sequel. You know, if you have a great movie, how many of you know it's awesome when the sequel comes out, right? Uh, in our vacation in Mexico this last week, I've actually never seen the first movie, but we went and saw a movie, my, my parents and I and, and my uh, stepbrother, George, not stepbrother, what would it be? Foster brother, George. We went and saw, uh, we went and saw a movie called 47 Meters Down, but it was, about, it was the sequel, but, but it was about sharks in a cave in uh, Mexico, great white sharks eating people. So, you know, just a good movie to take your kids to. Um, if you want to keep them out of the water, right? I told you not to go swimming. And they're like, I never will again. And it was a sequel. And I was like, I haven't, actually haven't seen the first one. And I'm not really excited to see the first one after watching the sequel. But it was in English. So it was kind of our option there. The popcorn was good. I'll say that. How about that? But when you have an awesome movie, <clears throat> it's great when you get the sequel. Like Rocky was great. But man, there's more people to beat up. Come on, you know what I'm saying? So let's go to the sequel. So this is the sequel today about big faith. Because really, last week, you know, talking about faith, it's such a big theme and such an important theme and topic in Scripture, we really didn't exhaust what needs to be said. So we're going to keep going today, talking about having bigger faith. I want us to turn our attention to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. I'm going to read it in the message translation. I think they're going to have it on the screen for you. It says, the fundamental fact of existence is that this trust in God, this faith, is the firm foundation under everything that makes life worth living. It's our handle on what we can't see. The act of faith is what distinguished our ancestors, set them above the crowd. It goes on, he says, by faith, we see the world called into existence by God's word. What we see created by what we don't see. By an act of faith, Abel brought a better sacrifice to God than Cain. It was what he believed, not what he brought that made the difference. That's what God noticed and approved as righteous. After all these centuries, that belief continues to catch our notice. By an act of faith, Enoch skipped death completely. They looked all over and couldn't find him because God had taken him. We know on the basis of reliable testimony that before he was taken, he pleased God. It's impossible to please God apart from faith. Why? Because anyone who wants to approach God most must believe both. So these are two important things here to catch, take attention here. Uh, <clears throat> that, that must believe both that he exists and that he cares enough to respond to those who seek him. By faith, Noah built a ship in the middle of dry land. He was warned about something he could not see and acted on what he was told. The result, his family was saved. His act of faith drew a sharp line between the evil of the unbelieving world and the rightness of the believing world. As a result, Noah became intimate with God. So what's the writer of Hebrews trying to get our attention on here? They're, they're saying, uh, that faith is, is the way that we access God. And specifically, there's two things. You have to believe that God exists, number one, but you also have to believe that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him, that God is going to show up if you're pursuing him. You know, I, was, I had an opportunity yesterday to speak at a conference uh, up in Harrisburg at our sister church, Life Bible, uh, doing a youth conference. And I got to speak to the young adults and I was talking with young adults. And one of the, the, the questions that young adults wrestle with is what do I do with my life? 
I don't want to make a mistake. I don't want to get off track. How many of you would say, yeah, that actually matters to me too. And so we're often treating God like he's hiding or that he's whispering and it's like we're in the middle of a hurricane and we have to develop like supernatural God radio skills to like, you know, tune into what he's saying. And and we're always afraid of missing out. And the reality is, first of all, God doesn't work that way. But secondly, um, that's not how we sort of lean into a God word life. What we do is we pursue him, pursue relationship with him. When you're pursuing God, odds are you're going to be right in alignment with what he has for you in your life, okay? When you're, when you're pursuing God. And so we believe that God is by faith, and we believe that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And as we live this pursuit of God life, then we, we stay in alignment with what God has for us. But it requires faith. And I don't mean faith like delusion. I don't mean faith as in, hey, apart from all evidence or despite evidence, I just choose just kind of delusionally to believe in God. That's not what it is. Faith is, a, is an activated trust. Are you with me? Faith is like, I, I know the character of God. I've seen the, the working of God, or I'm leaning into the truth of God. And so I activate trust and that's faith. I operate as if God is. It changes. So I want to give you three things today, uh, three <clears throat> principles and applications to have bigger faith. So number one, to have bigger faith, I must do this. Number one, I must live like God really exists, okay? I must live. In other words, I must change what I say, what I do, how I operate in my life. I must live like God really exists. Here's the question I have for you. If you really thought, if you really believed that Bigfoot was real, it would change what you did in the woods, Now, I'm not saying I believe in Bigfoot, but I'm also not saying that I don't. And I don't go to the woods very often. So what does that tell you about what I might, may or may not believe? And I have it on good authority from a very well-respected member of this congregation who I greatly esteem, who's had some experiences and encounters with Bigfoot that are really undeniable. And this person's not saying, you know, oh, this is it for a fact. No, it's just, this is what I experienced. This is what I saw. This is what I heard. Wow. Wow. Now you go, well, you're crazy. There's no such thing. There might be. And here's the thing. If you really believe, and this is the, the key thing here, not whether Bigfoot exists or aliens or whatever, but if you really believe, it changes how you live, doesn't it? It changes how you operate in the environment. If you really believe in aliens, why would you ever go into a cornfield at two in the morning? <laughs> Honest question. Why would you go to a cornfield at two in the morning anyways? But if you believed, do you know it's possible to believe in God and live like you don't? It's called being a Christian atheist. And a lot of Christians are atheists in the way they live because they have an intellectual belief, but it actually doesn't ever impact their hands and their feet. It doesn't actually impact what they do. This happens when we agree with our head, but disagree with our heart or with our actions. Like for instance, how many of you know that sugar is bad for you? I know. It, it, it is. Um, scientifically, in fact, uh, sugar is as bad for you as, um, as if you drank liquor every day of your life. Like, actually, that's the, that's the same thing in your liver, scientifically. It just doesn't metabolize in your brain. So you don't get drunk, but you get sick. Uh, and so sugar's bad for you, right? And I can share YouTube videos with you to prove it. But the YouTube videos are by people with medical degrees, right? So how many of us would say, you know, like, okay, Pastor Jake, I trust, like, sugar actually is, it's not really good for you. Like, refined white sugar, if you ate it by the spoonful, you're, you're going to get sick. It's not good for you. But what do we do? 
we act contrary to what we know. We eat too much, right? Uh, too much sugar, we consume too much. Why? Because we agree with our head, but we disagree with our actions. We disagree with our heart. And there's a reason why, because sugar tastes so good, right? And like every year at youth camp, my mom, she always brings all these snacks in the staff cabin. And I always go in and I like steal myself for weeks. I'm like, ugh, ugh, I won't, I won't, I won't eat it. And the minute I walk in, I'm like red vines, you know, everything and just ha, ah, sugar overload. Even though in my head, I know this isn't good for me. This isn't healthy, but it tastes so good. James, uh, in, in James 2.19, he says, you know, even the demons believe in God and they tremble. They have an intellectual knowledge of God. They believe in God, but it doesn't change their rebellious state of mind. See, you could be here today and you could say, yeah, I believe in God. Uh, I, I believe that he's there, but, the, but your actions and what you actually do really shows that you don't. And how many of you would say, yeah, I, I kind of, I, this is something that, that actually impacts me. We need to live like God really exists. And in other words, our Christian faith needs to go from the purely abstract or intellectual level down into our hands and our feet, into what we actually do. Now, let me tell you something. There are probably churches, I'm not criticizing other churches at all. I think we have a, so many great churches in our area and all around the nation, but I I think there are some churches that exist that they probably by their mission statement or whatever, they, they don't care really if you do something. They just want to teach truth and just, you know, tell you what God's word says, and then it's kind of up to you. But that's not what Joy Church is like. I actually care that you apply and actually be real in your faith. Because honestly, just on a personal level, I don't want to be a hypocrite. Um, though I am sometimes when I fall short, but I don't want to be a hypocrite and I don't want to lead a church full of hypocrites. To me, it actually matters that if we're Christians and we wear the name of Christ, that we actually sort of look like Jesus in the same way that the children that bear my name, they sort of should look like me. Otherwise, we're going to have some explaining to do. <laughs> right? So what do we do with God when it's like, hey, you're my kids, like you you wear my name, but like, wh wh where's, the, where's the beef? <laughs> you, you know what I'm saying? So how do we, do we live like God really, it got really quiet. I feel alone <laughs> up here. So let me ask you this question. What are three areas in your life that need to change based on a bigger faith in God's existence? Is there an area of trust you need to move into? Um, is there an area of unrepentant sin where it's like, hey, I just live kind of in this area that I know is wrong and I know I should like give it to God and process and deal with it and like let his grace change me, but I don't, I'm not really living like he really exists. Maybe right now you've got somebody that's wounded you or hurt you in the church or outside and you're not forgiving them and yet you know God's word and God comes to you and says, hey, you need to forgive, you need to deal with this area. And if we live like God really exists, these challenging things, we're gonna lean into them, aren't we? We're gonna press in. It's not easy, but it's pretty simple. We're living like God really exists. That's number one. Number two, we need to see God in his rightful place. And this is really what the series is about, is seeing God, he's bigger than we think. His goodness is bigger and better than we think. His grace is bigger than we think. So let's see God in his rightful place. One of the coolest commercials I've ever seen I don't know if it was by the NBA or who, who it was, but they had Kyrie Irving, who's like this all-star basketball player, especially at the time. Some of you saw this. They had him, like, they got him in like this amazing uh, old guy suit. So he had the makeup on. He had like a, you know, a big punch, like belly. Uh, he was wearing like old gray. You guys, some of you have seen this, right? And you remember he goes to like, I don't know if it's like uh, where it is, but he goes somewhere 
like a, a basketball place and all these young guys that are like really good. They're, you know, running around and they're shooting and dunking all this kind of stuff. And old man Kyrie kind of shows up and he stumbles up and they're like, what's up pops? You know, and they're talking to him and, and he's like, Hey, can I, can I got next? You know? And they're like, Oh yeah. Ha ha ha. Well, finally they started giving him a shot and he gets out there and he's crossing them over. You know, it's like all this stuff I wish I could do, but I can't. And he's crossing them over and he, he's shooting threes and he's making, he's making people look silly. And, and then at the end, he just like, woo, like totally slams it. And everybody's like screaming like, oh my gosh, because he was something awesome in disguise. And, and people weren't seeing his, his uh, rightful place. Um, I remember one time I was, I used to work out <laughs> like many years ago and I used to go to 24 hour fitness Except for for me, it was like 24-hour fitness once, uh, like two years I spent 24 hours total at the gym. And uh, one night I was there and I liked to play basketball um, because I like having sprained ankles. And um, this guy shows up, he's about six foot six, six foot seven. He's like probably, in, he's probably 45 to 50 years old, kind of has graying hair. He doesn't look real, you know, he's not buff or anything, but he looked like relatively in shape. And he's like, hey, can I play basketball? And we're like, sweet, like, this guy's tall, you know, and that's all that we recognize is he's tall. All of a sudden he comes on the court and he absolutely made the rest of us feel like tiny little ants because he was destroyed everyone. He was dunking, he was shooting threes. He was doing what Kyrie did to these guys. Like, and afterwards we're like, dude, you're amazing at basketball. He says, well, I mean, I played for the Indiana Pacers for 10 years. <laughs> oh, and now I'm just here in Medford, Oregon, visiting some whatever. Yeah, he was like an ex-NBA pro basketball player. And even at, you know, past his prime, he was still uh, Optimus Prime. You know what I mean? Compared to the rest of us. So here's the thing, guys. Like oftentimes, like we, we, we see God as like the old guy and we're like, yeah, I guess I'll give him a shot. We see God as like this older guy playing basketball. Uh, I, guess, I guess you can play with us. Like I guess what you see. And then when you see him come out into full glory, like we need to see God in his rightful place. The question for you is this, who do you really worship with your life? You know, when you think about it, the way you speak, the way you act, the way you talk, do you really glorify Satan more than God? Does faith come out of your mouth more frequently or does fear come out of your mouth? I, when I was a worship pastor in Medford, uh, we had a, a guy come in and he's a good good dude, you know, and, and, I, and he was like, yeah, I'm a really good singer. I, I know how to sing and uh, I've done worship at all these other churches. I'm like, sweet. And he really, he talked a great game, really talked a great game. So I'm like, I'm going to give you some, some scratch. I'm going to give you some run. Like, we're going to get you on the team. And, uh, and so got him on the team, and he had his opportunity to lead worship. And like uh, the first Wednesday night he was going to lead worship, he was like, oh, brother, yeah, the, you know, the devil's just been attacking my throat. devil's been attacking my throat. And, uh, and so he started to sing. And, and I'm waiting for like this cool voice, and it was like this weak, um, anemic, really lame voice that came out. And I was like, I've been hoodwinked. And my dad's looking at me like, you put him up there? And I'm like, I'm sorry, he told me, you know what I mean? And, uh, and, and so I thought, well, you know, he said the devil's attacking my throat. Maybe, maybe later he's going to come, you know, so I gave him another opportunity. And then the same thing happened. He's like, you know what? Like, normally I'm really good, but the devil's been attacking my throat. That's my favorite thing to say now. Uh, the devil's been attacking my throat. And this guy always had an excuse why he couldn't do what he said he could do because the devil's been attacking my throat. Now, how many of you go, well, I'm not a singer or a singer or anything like that, but in life, there's times where we kind of give more glory to Satan and it's like, the devil's attacking my throat. He's holding me down. He's doing all this stuff. Like at what point 
Are you going to step up and give glory to God and say, no, I'm going to overcome and be who God's called me to be. And I'm not going to make an excuse and act like the devil's just held me back my whole life. Like, yeah, we have an enemy, but at some point we need to see God in his rightful place and start giving more glory to God and trusting God to show up. It says in Hebrews 11:6, we read it already, but I'll read it in a different translation. Without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. These are the colossal pillars of knowing God. You got to believe that he exists. You're living like he's real and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. You know, how many of you would say, yes, I've struggled with doubt in my life. And oftentimes we kind of look at doubt like, man, I'm just so, uh, I'm, I'm doing the wrong thing because I have these doubts. But doubt is not actually the opposite of faith. The opposite of faith is unbelief. And what unbelief is in contrast to doubt is unbelief is activated doubt. It's doubt I choose to act upon. And conversely, faith is, is activated trust. It's trust I choose to act upon. Unbelief is making a choice to believe in a weaker version of God than the one I know exists. It's okay to have doubts. We all have doubts, but do you live your life uh, out, out of those doubts? Is that your source? Is that where you sort of live out of and you move out of those doubts? Or do you choose to trust in God and activate that trust? And that's what faith is. And that's what in Hebrews it's saying is it's impossible to please God without that kind of faith, that activated kind of trust where you actually believe that God's going to show up when you seek him. Do you see God in his rightful place, right? Do you see God as, as God? Or do you see God as sort of like your get out of hell free card or your uh, help me when I've exhausted all other options type of a thing? Or do you really see God in his rightful place? Because it's easy to get tricked and not recognize his power, not recognize his worth, but that's where we're kind of choosing to live out of those doubts. Are you with me? So what is it that, that we need to see God in his rightful place? What area? Remember, we're number one, living like he really exists, and then we're seeing God in his rightful place. So for some of us, you know, we trust Jesus as Savior. Why can't we trust him as provider? If you believe that Jesus saved you from your sins and he's given you eternal life, but you can't trust him with your finances, like what's going on there? You're not seeing him in his rightful place. If you trust him as your provider to take care of your needs, why can't you trust him as master to lead you in all areas of your life? Where do we need to see God in his rightful place? And then number three, the last one is this. We also need to trust God when it really counts. Trust God when it really counts. And I learned this from my mom because my mom, you know, she's kind of skittish. She was in a few car accidents, uh, really serious ones. So she's very skittish in the car. So I remember as a teenager, which I'm not going to drive with my kids when they're teenagers. I'm just going to, we're going to outsource that to someone else. I will pay someone a lot of money to teach my children to drive. And then after about three years, I may get in the car with them. Or we might just take separate cars. I'm not sure. But my mom, she'd be riding along with us. And I remember in the car, and she does it to my dad too. So even with, even with him, um, he's a bad driver though. So I, it makes sense. Uh, my dad is like, he's like the ultimate economist when it comes to driving. Like he's very frugal. So he's like, no brake, no brake. Because he doesn't want to lose the momentum. Because, you know, if you hit the brake, you've, you've spent that gas. And this is his reasoning, right? So we're like, dad, 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 dad. Because we're like coming up to a semi-truck. And he's like, at the very last moment where you can hit the brake and we don't catastrophically get in a car accident, he hits the brake and he's like, oh, I wish I didn't have to spend that gas again. <laughs> you spent like four cents of gas. You know what I mean? Like you, you put our lives in danger over like three pennies, dad. Anyways, 
My mom, though, in the car, whenever any kind of moment that my dad or one of us kids had created was felt a little bit scary to her. How many of you have ever ridden in a car with my mom? Anybody in this room? Okay, and then you've probably heard these words because this is what she does, and this is exactly what it sounds like. Jesus, 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 Jesus. My mom can squeeze so much Jesus into three seconds. Nobody can out-Jesus my mom. You know what I mean? And she, it's like, it's like this, this unbidden reaction. Like it just comes out of her in these moments when, when she feels threatened in the car. Jesus, 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 Jesus. That's the pitch that it's at, you know? But she actually doesn't blur the words. It's like she gives distinct, 50 distinct Jesus is in, in the sentence. You know what I mean? And that's what she does. But I love it because what it shows you is like when she gets pressed, when she gets pushed, who's her hope in? Who's her trust in? It's in Jesus. There was one time when I was driving and I spilled a, like a 44 ounce of Dr. Pepper because I slammed on the brakes and it, it, it swirled, it fell, it was like on the floorboards by her feet and she was driving home on a Sunday with me from the restaurant and the, the 44 ounces of Dr. Pepper sloshed up into like the underneath of the car because it was like a tidal wave of Dr. Pepper and she said a different word in that moment. Okay. <laughs> it wasn't Jesus. Do you trust God with what matters most to you? You know, when you think about health, like what if I get sick? What if somebody I love gets sick? What about my kids? What about my spouse? Do we trust God when it really counts? I think for a lot of us, we have a theoretical faith. It's not a practical faith because a practical faith says, I trust God with the stuff that matters to me. When the stakes are high, when stuff is real. I remember when, when I, was, uh, uh, I was on the phone with Pastor Mark and Pastor Gary and Bethany and I were, were getting ready to kind of come up to work at Eugene Christian Fellowship. And this was back in like 2013 or 2012, maybe. I think it was 2013 at this point. And my dad and I were in his office and we were talking on the phone and he got up to go get some water or something. And as he came back in the room, we're on the phone. He, he like, I saw his, his eyes like roll back in his head and he went like dazed out. And all of a sudden he fell forward and he hit his head on the the door jam and he collapsed. And so I remember I had my phone, it was on speakerphone and I just threw it down like in the thing. And I was like, dad, and I ran over and I thought I was going to lose my dad, you know, because I was like, he's having a heart attack or whatever. And I remember in that moment, um, your theology comes out what you really believe when the stakes are high. Come on. You like you read books and, and theoretically this is how I would act, but when things were kind of serious and, and really going a certain direction is when my theology came out. And I'll tell you right now, I'm a Pentecostal. <laughs> I was speaking in tongues. And I wasn't theoretically, I wasn't thinking in that moment, I wonder if because the canon of scripture is complete, if I shouldn't be doing this right now. I don't care. I'm going to activate and grab hold of any line coming down from heaven that I can. When you get pressed, you know, and so I'm there and I'm, I'm speaking in tongues. I'm praying. I'm crying out to God, Jesus, God, help me now. Touch my dad. I'm, I'm praying. I'm crying. I'm saying, dad, I love you. And I, you know, because he was still there. And so I'm thinking if I'm losing him, I'm telling him. So I'm saying, dad, you're my hero. You know, I'm thinking he's, he's going. Those are the moments when you go, do I really believe? Now, Praise God, he, he's alive, you know this, right? He's, he's still alive, and, uh, and he's still a horrible driver. 
Um, but though that moment, you know, that's that that showed me what was in my heart. You know, that showed me what was there. That that God was really the first place that I thought like this is where where I really lean to, really lean into when things go sideways. So here's the question, is God your first responder or is God your last resort? Because for many of us in that moment, it's like, hey, call, you know, and I'm not saying it's not bad to call 911. We did that, right? Call 911, but we're, we're praying. But who's your first responder? You know, and, and I think too, the other thing is like, sometimes in the really big stuff, we trust God, but then we don't trust God in the really small stuff. And that's convicting to me too. It's like, do I really trust God when it counts? Is God my first responder or is he my last resort? And the reality is, if it doesn't matter to you, things that are unimportant, it really doesn't take faith. And Jesus gives people this heart check. And when you read the, the New Testament, like there's a guy that's known as the rich young ruler. He comes up to Jesus and he says, I want to follow you. I want to I I go after you. I want to be your disciple. And Jesus gives him a little heart check. He says, great. All you got to do is give away everything you have. Now, why does Jesus not ask everyone to give away every penny they have? The reason is because for this guy, that was his place of trust. That was his idol. That was his sufficiency. That was his, that was his stability, his security. And so Jesus said, you got to give me your security blanket because otherwise you really haven't made me Lord. You've just added me to what you are already trusting in. Come on. How many of us go, Jesus, I want to follow you and I want to put you on the shelf. So when I need your thing to help my thing, I can go and grab you off the shelf. And so Jesus never lets anybody do that. So here comes the rich young ruler. He's like, Jesus, I want to follow you. And Jesus says to him, fine, that's great. Awesome. You're totally welcome uh, here at Jesus First Assembly Church. Um, all I'm going to need you to do is give away everything you've got. And he's like, ooh, wow. Ooh, it's a little legalistic for me. And he splits. He, he, he departs, says he departed sorrowfully. Because what Jesus wanted was faith that mattered when it counted. Now, here's the thing. You go, well, I would give everything I had to follow Jesus. Yeah, but that might not be your idol, but there is something that is. You see, for all of us, there's something that we sort of hold on to, and it's what really matters to us, and that's the thing God wants. He wants us to trust him with it, because otherwise, that is what's Lord of your life, not him, okay? And, and so if it doesn't matter to you, it doesn't really take faith. So if like for you, if giving money and being like generous to God and kind of living that, that faith life in your finances, that's awesome. That's great. But if that doesn't really take faith, like if it doesn't kind of pinch and sting a little bit, it, it's probably not really the kind of thing that God is necessarily going after. There's something that is. And I think for all of us right now, we can think about what that might be. What is it that really requires me to trust God? Because it actually scares me a little bit. So the question is, how's your faith when the stakes are high, like when things could actually go wrong or when things could actually go downhill, if God didn't show up in those moments, that's sort of where we measure our faith, right? It's kind of like in sports, when you play a cupcake team, that doesn't really test you. It's why people go, man, well, yeah, they won, but that team, they really weren't that great. But when you bring two top five teams together or two top 10 teams together, and they're just battling it out, that's when your, your medal is measured. Are you with me? So where is our faith when the stakes are high? I want you to think about Jesus just for a minute here. I think it's appropriate to think about Jesus in church. Um, Jesus, when he goes to the cross, I mean, think about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. So before, the night before he goes to the cross and he says, Lord, God, Father, not God, Father, you know, oh, God, I feel you can't refuse. He says, Father, if it's your will, could this cup pass from me? 
I don't want to do this. I don't want to go to the cross. Jesus knows what's coming. He knows about it at a physical level, what crucifixion is going to look like, but I think he also has a spiritual anticipation of what God making him sin is going to feel like and be like, and then, and then, and then bringing the, his wrath down. He says, could this cup pass for me? But nevertheless, not my will, your will. You got to understand, Jesus took the greatest risk ever when he gave his life for you and I on the cross. It was incredibly risky because he became sin for us. So he had to believe that as he became sin, and literally bore all the wrath and the punishment. He took every sin that was ever had ever been committed, it was being committed, and ever would be. In that one moment, he had to trust that God would not abandon him and leave him in hell. Would not let, would not leave him alone. Uh, you know, as the the scapegoat that he would actually raise him from the dead, that he would actually redeem him. And I don't know exactly how much Jesus. Uh, knows about this. We won't go into all the depth of theology here. There's different thoughts, different perspectives, but I actually believe that it was a very risky thing. I, I think Jesus really had to trust and, and demonstrate the greatest level of faith, the greatest level of high stakes faith to believe that God would not uh, forsake him forever, but would actually bring him up from the grave and raise him from the dead. And here's the deal. That is the kind of faith that really moves mountains. That's the kind of faith that we want to have. That's what that great big faith in a great big God looks like is when it is high stakes. You with me? When it is high stakes. The other thing about this is that our faith is not about the outcome. We don't put our faith in, oh, God's going to do X, Y, Z. That's exactly what he's going to do. I trust him with my finances. Therefore, he's going to make me a millionaire. No, that's not what it is. We don't put our faith in the outcome. We put our faith in the faithfulness of God. We put our faith in the character of God. We put our faith in the person of God. Otherwise, you're just playing cosmic lottery. So and I, I want you to be careful in this message. I don't want you to hear me say, man, just have the biggest faith and do whatever you know, comes into your mind and, and then say, oh, God's gonna come through. That's not, that's not what it is. You're walking in relationship with God and you're putting your faith in his faithfulness and you're trusting him as, that he, as he leads you and guides you through life. And you come to these moments where it's high stakes to trust God. In those moments, you can, you can trust him, but it's not just presumptuous faith, okay? Or presumptuous belief. It's not just faith in the outcome. It's faith in the faithfulness of God. But this kind of faith is really only found outside of the realm of comfort and security. But I'll tell you what, outside of the realm of comfort and security is absolutely where the miracles live. It's absolutely where the fun is at. It's absolutely where the adventure with God is at. And that's where I want to live as a follower of Jesus. I don't want to live a safe, comfortable, boring, ineffectual life of faith. I want to say, God, would you continually, every, uh, every day, every week, every month, every year, keep leading me to these gaps where I have to trust in you that if you don't show up, I'm in trouble because I want to, I want to continually see the miracles that God has to do through my life and through us as a church. Come on, that's what we want, isn't it? We want to have that kind of big, uh, over-the-top faith. So what we need to do, and I'll just recap really quick. I put my notes down and I forgot my notes. So let me go back and look at them. Uh, number one, we need to live like God really exists, right? Actually change how we behave, what we do in light of the fact that he really is there. Number two, we need to see him in his rightful place. We need to get a right thought, a right perspective of God. And number three, we need to be willing and we need to do it. Trust God when it really counts. And that's what great, big, awesome faith looks like. Living like he really exists, seeing him in his rightful place and trusting him when it really counts. Amen.
Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you in this moment. Lord, as a church and as individuals, we thank you for your faithfulness. God, we thank you that that we put trust in you because you are trustworthy, that you have walked with us, you have led us on a journey, that we have trusted you with our our salvation, we've trusted you in, in different ways in our life, and Lord, you don't ever let us down. You are trustworthy, and so we put our faith in you today. And Lord, I pray today as these as your word has been preached, as we've looked into this together, that Lord, we would be challenged to be a people of faith, not a people that walk by sight, that walk by emotion, that walk by culture and what's acceptable from, from age to age, but that we walk by faith, that we lean into you and our relationship with you. And we see this miracle activating uh, over the top uh, kind of faith be manifest in our lives. Lord, I pray for that in Jesus' name. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. If you're here today and you're like, Pastor Jake, I want to follow Jesus. Uh, I'm, I'm hearing you talk about faith, but I don't really even have faith in God. Like I haven't actually placed my trust and faith in the provision that God made for me to be part of his family because of my sin or whatever. I feel separated from God or I know I've done the wrong stuff. Maybe that's where you're at today, but I wanna tell you right now, you can put your faith and trust in Jesus and what he did for you at the cross. And if you will do that, God brings you into his family and there's not a waiting period. It's not like, well, you receive Jesus and you, you know, decide to become a follower of Jesus and now you have to go through this two-year period where we check you out. No, uh, you get to be part of his family. You get to come sit at his table. You get to be uh, the benefactor of the richness of God's love and his mercy. And so if that's you and you're like, yes, I wanna follow Jesus, then I wanna ask you to pray this prayer with me as an act of faith, as a step of faith, to just put your trust in Jesus. If that's you today, would you lift up your hand where I can see? Thank you, thank you, that's awesome. I wanna follow Jesus, thank you, with my life. Awesome, let's pray this prayer together. Repeat after me. Dear Jesus, I put my faith and trust in you. And I give you my life. All the good, all the bad, every part of it. And I receive your life that you gave for me at the cross, where you paid for my sins and made a way for me to be reconciled with God. I receive you today as my Lord and Savior, in Jesus' name, amen.